The Tower Treasure, Chapter 15, The Chief Gets a Bomb What's up now? asked Joe when the Hardy Boys had left the house. Chief Colleague and Detective Smoof must miss that train. But how? I don't know just yet, but they've got to miss it. If they reach the hospital tonight, they'll interview Jack Lee first. One of two things will happen. They'll either get a confession and take all the credit for clearing up the case, or they'll go about it so clumsily that Jack Lee will say nothing and spoil everything for Dad. The Hardy Boys walked along the street in silence. They realized that the situation was urgent, but although they racked their brains trying to think of some way in which to prevent Chief Colleague and Detective Smoo from catching the train, it seemed hopeless. "'Let's round up the gang,' suggested Joe. "'Perhaps they can think of something.' The gang consisted of the boys who had been with Frank and Joe the day they had held the picnic in the woods. There was, of course, Chet Morton. Besides him was Alan Hooper, likewise known as Biff because of his passion for boxing, Jerry Gilroy, Phil Cohen, and Tony Prito, all students of the Bayport High School. They were usually to be found at the school campus after hours, playing ball, and there the Hardy Boys soon located them. The game was just breaking up. Pikers, grinned Chet Morton, when he saw the boys approaching. You wouldn't play ball with us when we asked you to, and now you come around when the game's all over. We had something more important on our minds, replied Frank. We need your help. What's the matter? asked Tony Prito. Chief Colleague and Detective Smoof are butting into Dad's case, said Frank. We can't tell you much more about it than that, but the whole thing is that they mustn't catch the seven o'clock train. What do you want us to do? asked Biff Hooper. Blow up the bridge? We might lock Colleague and Smoof in one of their own cells, suggested Phil Cohen. And get locked up in it ourselves, said Jerry Gilroy. Be sensible. Are you serious about this, Frank? Absolutely. If those two catch that train, Dad's case will be ruined. And I don't mind telling you, it has something to do with Perry Robinson. Chet Morton whistled. Aha! I see now. The Tower Affair. In that case, we'll see to it that the seven o'clock train leaves here without those worthy chief, his equally worthy, although dumb, detective on it. He hated Smoof, for the sleuth had once or twice tried to arrest the boys for bathing in a forbidden section of the bay. There's only one question left, asked Phil solemnly. And what is that? How to keep them from getting on the train. Get your brains to work, fellows, if you have any, that is, ordered Jerry Gilroy. Let's figure out a plan. A dozen plans were suggested, each wilder than the other one. Biff Hooper was in favor of kidnapping the chief and his detective, binding them hand and foot and setting them adrift in the bay in an open boat. Phil Cohen suggested putting the chief's watch an hour ahead. That plan, as Frank observed, would have been a good one, but for the little difficulty of laying hands on his watch. Chet Morton thought it would be a good idea to start a fight in front of the police station just as Colleague and Smoof were about to leave for the train. The possibility that they might all land in the jail, as a result, made this suggestion unpopular. "'If we were in Italy, we could get the Black Hand to help,' said Tony Prito. "'The Black Hand,' declared Chet. "'That's a good idea.' "'We got no Black Hand Society in Bayport,' objected Tony. Let's get one up. 
send the chief a black hand letter warning him not to take that train. And if he ever found out who wrote it, we'd all be put into prison, I'm sure, pointed out Joe. I'd like to put a bomb under that old police station myself. Fine idea, applauded Tony. Where we get the bomb? Leave it to me, announced Chet Morton, mysteriously. I'll get a bomb, a special bomb. I'll guarantee to keep the chief in town. Not a real bomb, asked Frank. Nope, said Chet. Listen to me. Chet proceeded to lay forth his plan in a stealthy whisper. It was received with chuckles and murmurs of admiration. His companions clapped him on the back, and when he had finished, the boys hastened down the street towards the hardy home. In the rear of the house was a garage and an old barn. In the barn was a gymnasium that the hardy boys had fitted out for themselves, and there was the usual collection of old toys, footballs, broken baseball bats, and such paraphernalia. To be found wherever boys store their cherished possessions, Frank groped about among the rubbish in one corner until at last he rose with an exclamation of triumph, holding aloft a shiny object. It's here, he said. Let's get busy. There's no time to lose. An old box was quickly produced, and in it the shiny object was placed. The box was then carefully wrapped up, and in a few minutes the boys left the barn, Tony carrying the package under one arm. Tony took the box with it under his arm towards Rocco's fruit stand. The boys made their way. Rocco was sorting over his oranges when they approached. Tony hung in the background while Chet stepped boldly forward. How much are your oranges, Rocco? he asked. Rocco, with much explanatory waving of arms, recited the prices of the various grades of oranges. Too much. There's a fellow another fruit stand on the next street. Sells them a nickel a dozen cheaper. He no can do, shrieked Rocco. My price are the lowest. They argued for quite some time, and Rocco got very excited about his prices. You'll have the black hand after you if you keep on cheating such people with your high prices. That's all I can say, declared Chet, as the boys moved away. Poof! What do you care, the black hand? No frighten me, said Rocco bravely, but he gulped when he said it, and there was no doubt that the shot had gone home. It was now after six o'clock, and the boys decided that in the interest of their plan, they would have to brook the parental wrath by being late for supper. Frank had assumed that Chief Collig and Detective Smoof would be leaving to catch the train at about ten minutes or seven, at about ten minutes to seven, so shortly after six-thirty, Phil Cohen, who had remained in the background during the interview with Rocco, walked smartly up to the fruit stand again. The others were viewing the scene from around the corner of a nearby building. Banana? asked Phil, briefly tossing a nickel on the counter. When he had received the fruit, he began to eat it, after the, some time chatting with Rocco. What do you think? snickered the Italian. Some boys come here a while ago and say to Black Hen, think I charge too much for my fruit. Well, you do charge too much. Rocco, everybody says so. I sell the good fruit for the good prices. 
Phil turned aside and at the same time accidentally knocked an apple on the ground. He bent to pick it up, Rogo eyeing him narrowly in case he tried to slip it into his pocket. But Phil did not get up at once. Instead, he said, "'Oi, what's this?' "'What do you find?' "'What's this, Rogo?' Phil rose from the front of the stand with the package in his hands. "'I found it under the counter.' Rogo stared. His mouth opened in dismay. For sounding clearly from inside the package was a steady tick-tock, tick-tock. "'A bomb!' he shrieked. "'Put him down!' whereupon he scrambled wildly over the array of fruit at the back of the stand, knocked over a tray of oranges, and went sprawling over the opposite counter, roaring, "'Police!' at the top of his lungs. Phil, with a fine imitation of fright, put the package on top of the counter and fled. Rocco, in his white apron, was dancing about in the middle of the street, yelling, "'Bombs! Police! The Black Hand!' He reached the doorway of the police station just as Chief Colleg and Detective Smooth were leaving for the train, panting with fear and excitement. Rocco implored them to save him from the black handers who had put a bomb under his fruit stand. De bomb, she go tick-tock, he wailed. She blowed a stand to pieces. A bomb, exclaimed Chief Colleg. Surely not in Bayport. "'I always thought there were black-handers around here,' said Smoof. "'She'd blow up the fruit stand. Come quick!' Chief Colleg and Detective Smoof followed Rocco to the corner. Then they peered round until they could see the deserted fruit stand with the package on the counter. "'You say it goes tick-tock?' "'Just like the clock!' "'Must be a bomb, all right,' said Smoof. "'They run by clockwork.' "'Might go off any minute,' observed the chief. "'I hate to go near it. Smooth, you go, and pour a bucket of water over it.' "'Me? Yes, you. You're not afraid, are you?' "'No, I'm not afraid,' muttered Smooth, mopping his brow. "'But I got a family to think of.' "'Coward,' said chief. "'I'd do it myself, only it wouldn't be right, seeing you're my subordinate officer. Bad for discipline.' The worthy officer stared at the package on the fruit stand counter while Rogo danced with impatience. Neither Colleg nor Smooth dared approach any closer. But they realized something must be done. Where's Riley? asked the chief at last. Out on his beat, around the corner. Get him. Smooth departed hastily, glad of the chance to get away from the vicinity of the supposed bomb. He was some time in locating Con Riley, and when at last that minion of the law was escorted back to the chief, seven o'clock had come and gone. So had the train. Chapter 16. A Confession. Riley, ordered the chief, see that package on the counter of the fruit stand? Go and get it and pour a pail of water over it. Huh? exclaimed Riley, gaping. Pour a pail of water over it. Riley took off his helmet and scratched his head. He began to wonder if his chief's brain had been affected by the heat. "'Don't stand there staring at me,' snapped Colleg. "'Hurry up and obey orders.' "'This is the meanest job I ever got,' observed Con Riley. But he ambled across the street, wondering why a crowd of people had collected, for word had quickly spread that the bomb had been found under Rocco's fruit stand.' and when he reached the package he inspected it wonderingly. 
Maybe she blow him up to little bits, suggested Rocco fearfully. He has insurance, said Chief Collig. We'll give him a fine funeral, observed Smoof. Con Riley hunted about the fruit stand and found a pail, and then he went up the street until he located a tap. Finally, with the pail full of water, he went back to the fruit stand and dumped the water over the package and stood awaiting further orders. Soak it again, roared the chief, who was taking no chances. Con Riley sighed, but he did as he was told. For five minutes he went he was kept busy dumping innumerable pails of water over the package. Only then did Chief Collig and Detective Smooth venture forth. Then, with fear and trembling, Chief Collig handed the package to Smooth and bade him open it. Smooth's hands were shaking so that he could scarcely tear apart the covering from the water-soaked parcel. The chief withdrew to the safe distance, Con Riley, who had just been told by a friendly crowd that he had been pouring water over a live bomb, was trying to achieve a sickly smile as the crowd congratulated him on his bravery. Detective Smoove opened the package. The covering fell away, and the cardboard box dripping with water tumbled apart. A bright object fell to the pavement with a clatter. Everybody jumped, but there was no cause for fear. The bright object was nothing more harmful than an old alarm clock. The hardy boys and their chums mingled with the crowd, roared with laughter, and with the crowd saw how Chief Collig and his assistant had been duped, they joined in the merriment. An alarm clock, roared someone. They thought an alarm clock was a bomb, pouring water over an alarm clock. Chief Collig and Smoof returned to the police station with all the dignity they could muster, under the circumstances, the crowd howled and whooped with laughter. The Hardy Boys went home, smiling. The seven o'clock train had left half an hour before. Their father was making the trip to the city without the interference of the chief and his assistant's move. Fenton Hardy returned home late that night, and at the breakfast table next morning he was in high spirits. "'Solved another mystery?' asked Mrs. Hardy, happily, as she poured the coffee. She seldom asked questions about her husband's work, being of a genteel nature that instinctively shrank from any discussion of crime. It frequently distressed her that Mr. Hardy's occupation should be one that meant terms of imprisonment for those whom he cunningly and cleverly had brought to justice.' But her husband's attitude this morning was so unmistakably jubilant that she was glad, for his sake, that he had scored another success. Practically solved, my dear, if you'd care to hear all about it. Not me. You know how I don't care to hear about these terrible things. Well, the boys shall hear of them. They are interested. If they'll come into my den after breakfast, they'll learn all about it. That means you succeeded, Frank said. Eat your bacon and eggs, and don't be impatient. After breakfast, the boys went with their father into the den, off the library, eagerly awaiting news of his mission of the previous evening. They had not told him how Chief Collig and Detective Smoove had missed the train, but they were shrewdly certain that their efforts in that respect had been of considerable assistance to their father. 
First of all, said the detective, Jakeley is dead. But his confession? You're not very sympathetic for the poor fellow. Yes, he confessed. Fortunately, Chief Colleg and Detective Smooth didn't show up. Fenton Hardy saw that Joe and Frank glanced at one another, and he smiled quietly. I have an idea that you two scamps know more about that than you would care to tell. However, they failed to show up, and I had a clear field about me. I saw Jake Lee just before he died, and I questioned him about the tower robbery. He admitted it? He admitted everything. He said he came to Bayport with the intention of robbing the ticket office. When he failed in that attempt, he decided to hang around for a few days, and then he hit upon the tower mansion as his next effort. He entered the place and opened the safe, and then he took the jewels and the bonds. What did he do with the loot? That's what I'm coming to. I had quite a time making Jakeley confess to the tower affair, and it was not until he was at the point of death that he admitted it. And then he said, Yes, I took the stuff, but I couldn't get away with it. You can get it back easily. I hid it in the old tower. That was all he said. He became unconscious, and then he died in a few minutes. Just why he couldn't get away with the loot, and why he hid it in the tower, I don't know. He didn't have time to tell me, but he said it was hidden in the old tower. Why, we'll find it in no time, exclaimed Frank. The story seems likely enough, said Mr. Hardy. Jake Lee would gain nothing by lying about it when he was on his deathbed. He probably became frightened after he committed the robbery and hid the old tower until saw the coast was clear and he was able to get away. Then no doubt he decided to hide the stuff there and take the chance on coming back for it sometime after the affair had blown over. That was why we couldn't trace through the jewels and bonds the crook, Joe said. They were never disposed of at all. They've been laying in the old tower all this time. I tried to kid him to tell me in just what part of the tower the loot was hidden, continued Fenton Hardy, but he died before he could say any more. I hid it in the old tower. He just managed to gasp that out before he became unconscious. It shouldn't be hard to find the stuff now that we have a general idea of where it is, Frank pointed out. Probably he didn't hide it very carefully. The old tower has been unoccupied for a long time, and it's rarely entered. The stuff would be as safe there as if he had hidden it miles away. Joe got up from his chair. I think we ought to get busy and go searching in the old tower right away. Oh, boy, if we can only hand old Applegate his jewels and bonds this morning and clear Mr. Robinson, let's start. I'll leave it to you boys to make the search, said Mr. Hardy with a smile. I've no doubt the stuff will be easily recovered, and you can have the satisfaction of turning it over to Mr. Applegate. I guess you can get along without me in this case from now on. We wouldn't have gotten very far if it hadn't been for you, Dad. And I wouldn't have gotten very far if it hadn't been for the two of you, so we're even, smiled Mr. Hardy. Be on your way, then, and good luck to you. We'll find it never fear, promised Frank, putting on his cap. I hope the Applegates don't throw us out when we ask to be allowed to look around the old tower. Just tell them you have a pretty good clue 
for where the bonds and jewels are hidden, and they'll let you in to search to your heart's content, said Mr. Hardy. Come on then, Joe. We'll have that thousand-dollar reward before the morning is over. Their father glanced at them shrewdly. Don't count your chickens before they're hatched, he said. And then as the boys hastened out of the den, he called after them. Also, you might remember the old proverb that there is many a slip between the cup and the lip. But the hardy boys scarcely heard him. So eager were they to begin searching the old tower, and so confident were they that the mystery was about to be cleared up. Chapter 17 The Search of the Tower When the hardy boys reached the tower mansion that morning, the door was answered by Herd Applegate himself. The tall, stooped gentleman peered at them through his thick-lens glasses. In one hand he held a sheet of stamps, for it was his custom to devout the morning to his collection. "'Yes,' he said testily, for he was annoyed at being disturbed. "'What do you boys want here at this hour of the day?' "'You remember us, don't you?' asked Frank politely. "'We're Mr. Hardy's sons.' "'Fendon Hardy, the detective? Are you his boys?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Well, what do you want?' "'We'd like to take a look through the old tower, if you don't mind. We've got a new clue about the robbery.' "'You had here a while ago.' "'Want to look through the old tower of all the impudence. "'What do you want to look through the tower for? "'And what has that got to do with the robbery? "'We have evidence that leads us to believe "'that the jewels and bonds were hidden in the tower by the thief.' "'Oh, you have evidence, have you?' "'The old man peered at them very closely. "'That's the rascal Robinson, I'll warrant. "'He hid the stuff here.' "'and now he's put it up to you to go and find it, "'just to clear himself.' "'The Hardy Boys had not considered the affair in this light, "'and they gazed at Mr. Applegate in consternation. "'At last Joe found his tongue. "'Mr. Robinson isn't mixed up in this at all,' he said. "'The real thief was found. "'He said the stuff was hidden in the old tower. "'If you will just let us take a look around, we'll find it for you.' Who was the real thief, then? We can't tell you that just now. Wait till we find the stolen goods, and we'll tell you the whole story. Mr. Applegate took off his glasses and wiped them with his handkerchief. He glared at the boys suspiciously for a moment, and then he called out, Adelia! A high, crackling voice from the dim regions of the hallway answered, What do you want? Come here a minute. There was a rustle of skirts, and then Adelia Applegate, maiden sister of the owner of the tower mansion, appeared. She was a faded blonde woman of thin features, and she was dressed in a gown of fashion fifteen years back, in which every color of the spectrum fought for supremacy. "'What's the matter now?' she demanded. "'Can a body sit down to be having a bit of sewing without you hollering at them? "'These boys want to look through the old tower.' "'What for? Up to some mischief, I'll be bound. "'They think they can find the bonds and jewels.' "'Oh, they do, do they?' sniffed the old woman. "'And what would the bonds and jewels be doing in the old tower?' "'We have evidence that they were hidden there after the robbery,' replied Frank. "'Miss Applegate sniffed again and viewed at the boys with suspicion.' "'as if any thief would be fool enough to hide them right in this old house. 
These are Mr. Hardy's boys, exclaimed Herd Applegate. He's the big detective, you know. All detectives, said Miss Applegate, are nosy, always prying into other people's affairs. We're just trying to help you, put in Joe politely. Go ahead, then, go ahead, said Miss Applegate with a sniff. Come around at the hour of the morning, disturbing honest folks. Go ahead and tear the whole tower to pieces, if you like. But I'll be bound you won't find anything. That's all foolishness. You won't find anything. Consent having been given, Herd Applegate led the way through the gloomy halls and corridors of the mansion towards the old tower. He was inclined to share his sister's view that the boy's search would be in vain. "'Might as well save yourself the trouble,' he declared. "'You won't find anything in the old tower. "'If anything's hidden there, it's been taken away by this time. "'We'll make a try at it anyway, Mr. Applegate. "'Don't ask me to help you. "'I've got better things to do. "'Just got some new stamps in this morning, "'and you interfered with them as I was sorting them around. "'I've got to get back to my work.' The man led the way into a corridor that was heavy with dust. It had not been in use for a long time, and it was bare and unfurnished. Leading off this corridor was a heavy door. It was unlocked, and when Mr. Applegate opened it, the boys saw that a flight of stairs lay beyond them. "'There you are. These stairs lead up into the tower. Search away. You won't find anything.' "'I hope we do, Mr. Applegate,' said Frank, "'and I'm pretty sure we shall.' "'Yes. Boys are always going to do wonders. "'Go ahead. Live and learn. Waste your time.' "'And with that parting shout, Herd Applegate turned "'and hobbled back along the corridor, "'and the sheets of stamps were still in his gnarled hand. "'He was muttering to himself as he departed. "'The hardy boys looked at one another.' Not very encouraging, is he, Frank? Not a bit of it. But it will be so much better for us if we get the stuff back for him. He won't think we were wasting our time. Let's get up in the tower. I'm anxious to start. The tower was about five stories in height, as compared with the rest of the mansion, which had but three stories. The lower floor was empty. The floors and walls were heavy with dust. Frank and Joe first examined the stairs carefully for footsteps, but there was none to be seen. That seems odd, remarked Frank. If Jakeley had been here within the past month, you'd think the footprints would still show. By the appearance of this dust, there hasn't been anyone in the tower for at least a year. Perhaps the dust collected more quickly than we think. It may have been covered his footprints over even in a couple of weeks. An inspection of the ground floor revealed the fact that there was no place where the loot could have been hidden, save under the stairs, and there was nothing in that place of concealment. Accordingly, the hardy boys ascended to the next floor, finding themselves in a room as drab and bare as the one they had just left. Here again the dust lay heavy and murky windows were thick with cobwebs. There was an atmosphere of age and decay about the entire place. It seemed to have been abandoned for years. Nothing here, said Frank, with a quick glance around. On we go. They made their way up the next floor, after again poking about under the stairs, but again without success. 
The next room was a duplicate of the first. It was bare and cheerless, deep in dust. There was not the slightest sign of a hiding place, much less was any indication that anyone had been there for years. Doesn't look very promising, Joe. Still, he may have gone right up to the top tower. So the search continued, until at last the Hardy Boys had reached the top of the tower. Here they emerged into the open air, coming through a trap door that led to the roof from the upper room. They were now standing on a platform, and far below they lay the city of Bayport. To the east was Barmet Bay, the waters sparkling in the sun. The platform was quite bare. The stone walls gave no opportunity of a hiding place. Their search had been in vain. We were fooled, I guess, Frank admitted. There hasn't been anyone in this tower for years. I knew it as soon as I saw there were no footprints. The boys gazed moodily down over the city, then down over the background of the tower mansion. The roofs of the mansion itself were far below, and directly across from them rose the heavily bulk of the new tower. Do you think he might have meant the new tower? exclaimed Joe suddenly. Dad said he specifically said the old one. But he may have been mistaken. In the darkness and everything, perhaps, he didn't know the difference. That's possible, too. It's certain that he didn't hide anything in this tower, at any rate. Although, why, he should say the old tower. Let's ask Mr. Applegate if we can search the tower now. What a fine chance we have. He'll crow over us now in real earnest when we go back and tell him we didn't find anything. He'll say, I told you so, and we'll try to get into the new tower. He'll just laugh at us. It's worth trying anyway. We can tell him the whole story about Jakely that ought to convince him, and besides, his words won't hurt us. Disappointed, the Hardy Boys descended through the trap door and then made their way down through the tower until at last they were in the long, gloomy hallway again. Their clothes were covered with dust and their hands and faces were grimy. Slowly, they trudged back into the main part of the mansion again, and there they met Adelia Applegate who popped out of the doorway as they were passing and cackled with delight. So, they're the fine boys who were going to find the soul and stuff for us, huh? She exclaimed in her crackled voice. So these are the boys who were so sure it was hidden in the old tower. Well, well, and they didn't find anything after all. I'm afraid we didn't, Miss Applegate, Frank answered with a smile, but... If you and Mr. Applegate will let us tell our story, I think we can convince you that we really thought the stuff was hidden there. Even yet, I believe it is hidden somewhere in the mansion, probably in the new tower. In the new tower, she sniffed. Absurd. I suppose you'll want to go poking there as well. If it wouldn't be too much trouble. It would be too much trouble indeed, she shrieked. I shan't have any boys rummaging all through my home. "'On a wild goose chase like this, you'd better leave right now and forget all this nonsense.' Her voice had attracted the attention of Herd Applegate, who came hobbling out of his study at that moment. 
Now what's the matter? he demanded. Then seeing the boys, his face became creased in a triumphant smile. Aha! So you didn't find anything after all. Ha <laughs> ha! He he he! He began to chuckle, immensely pleased with himself. I told you so.